verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. Thank you so much for the reading of God's word for us this morning. When I saw the setup on the stage, I automatically assumed it was some plot to keep me from wandering away from my notes. But now I feel complete freedom. This aisle, both aisles, to wander about. So if you're sleeping, I may just come your way. <laughs> I want to invite you to uh, keep your Bibles open to this passage of Scripture. Uh, we may have some challenges with our keynote or PowerPoint because I'm having to remember to switch it with my phone. So if something happens, that's my mother from heaven saying, I told you. You should leave that technology and just preach the word. I was telling staff this week uh, about my first experience as a pastor. I had a senior pastor who was uh, American. I was a youth pastor. We call it next-gen pastor now, but I was a youth pastor in a church in California. And he used to love tell stories to us who were on staff. And one of the stories he often taught was this, this story of his favorite sermon that he preached when he first came to the church. Uh, taken from John 3.16, yes, a one-verse sermon, which is quite extraordinary if you can pull out 35, 40 minutes out of one verse. But more than that, he told us that, yes, I preached that sermon called God Loves the World for 16 weeks at the same church. And being from Canada, I, I said to him, well, didn't anybody complain? Because that's our culture. I think it's shared on this island. We believe that change is triggered by complaints. And so I just assumed, you preach something. I mean the same sermon for 16 weeks, and surely someone will complain, right? Even in America, there's got to be some complainers. And sure enough, there was, because they had deacons. And the deacons were listening to those people who were saying, why have we heard this same sermon for three weeks in a row? And, and you know, <clears throat> there was still 13 more weeks to come. I, I said, so people did complain, so, so what did you say to them? He said, I said to them, when you get this sermon, then we'll move on to the next sermon. I feel like Pastor John was a little bit like that because I feel like this is the fourth or fifth time in this little letter that you've heard one of the pastors say it's all about love. You know, we should love one another. Several weeks ago, we talked about how this was the essence, the core, 
the, the main substance of our faith. And, and now John again is cycling back to that same sermon. As if he's saying to God's first people in the first century, when you get this one, then we'll move on to the next. When, when you get this message that we must live out our faith with this unpayable debt to love. Now, I, I know a lot of us, we, we grow up with this idea that we believe comes from the church, meaning from the Bible, which is don't owe anyone anything. You know, neither a borrower nor a lender be. That's what I grew up with, and I grew up with church. I, you know, I just assumed it was in God's Word. And look at Romans 13. Owe no one anything. We grow up with this. That's why it was a, a big deal to our leadership to move into this building debt-free. We don't want to carry debt. That's, that's not good biblical stewardship, right? We need to owe no one anything except, Scripture says, owe no one anything except to love one another. In fact, let me extend it just so you don't believe that John is the only apostle that taught this message about love. Owe nothing to anyone except for loving each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This, this is that imperative, that reciprocal imperative. That means it's a command that you and I cannot do on our own. That, that, that's why I said, seriously, uh, you, you didn't need to come to church today to hear good music, right? You, you could have stayed at home and, you know, went online, YouTubed, you know, three hours of worship, and you would have had an amazing worship experience. You, you didn't have to come today to hear a white guy yell at you. Go online, you can download a sermon from some white guy yelling. If you want that, you can get that. But, but only together, only with somebody else, only in a community of faith can you practice these reciprocal commands like love one another. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Listen, this is a nation of laws and, and we're a church of policies. This is incredibly liberating. For all the commandments, he didn't say for most of the commandments, for all of the commandments, the Apostle Paul says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment is summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Th this one thing. We do it, and we will have the pleasure of God. And why is it important? Because we need to know the source of love. In verse 7. It begins this way, beloved, now literally that word is those who have been loved, it's a little awkward to say the whole thing in English, those who have been loved or loved ones, and this is where we need to start. This is the first application of this message, Be because life is hard. Sooner or later, you're going to get a performance evaluation you don't like. Sooner or later, if you have a pulse, Somebody's going to say something hurtful to you. This is the first application every single day. We ought to get up when we're at our worst, which is usually the first two or three minutes when we wake up. In that window, 
Find a mirror. Look at that horrible person staring back at you and speak scripture to him. Speak scripture to her and say, you are loved. Start with that instead of the news. This is not self-help. This is speaking the voice of God to yourself. He starts, beloved, returning to the text, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is the evidence. Not that you've been in the water. Not, not that you know all the theological nuances. Not that you can't get enough Bible study. But the evidence of God in me is this affection, this love for another. It is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. See, I forgot to move this. Anyone who does not love does not know God because what? God is love. Now, I don't expect any of you to know this guy. Apparently, hockey's not popular here. <laughs> this guy was a rock star when... In the, in the first seven or eight years of my high school, when I wasn't really attending high school, this, this guy was everything I wanted to be, right? He was living the dream life. A, a young Canadian boy, born on a farm, living in Los Angeles, married to a model, and playing a game for over a million dollars a year. You know, a lot of our kids, boys, want to grow up getting paid to play a game. This was the dream. This is why I wasn't interested in school because there was no game in it, right? So this guy, Charlie Zimmer, he was just living his best life now, right? Apparently that's a thing. It is in the world. Charlie Zimmer was living that life and then 12 years later, his best life now was gone. Along with his career, along with his wife, and Charlie Simmer was making a living by selling used cars. Not that that's a bad thing. But what happened to his best life now? And I recently read the story of his life. Now he's an old guy, older than me. And they're following his story in a magazine called Sports Illustrated. What happened to Charlie Simmer? Leading his best life. And they, they asked him, well, where's your wife? Was, was there no romance? No, they had candlelight dinners. They had weekly dates. That's what marriage counselors say. We ought to have, nurture our marriage, you know, with these weekly dates. He had all of that. Was there no attraction? Did I say she was a model? She was a Playboy model, sorry. I hope you don't, wait, why do you know that? <laughs> uh, uh, she, she was the kind of woman men dreamed about. Was there no attraction? And, and at the end of the article, Charlie Simmer had one statement. He said, we just didn't love each other. What happened to that game? I, I, just, didn't, I just didn't love the game. You, you, you see, we, we live in this world. We're immersed in a culture that encourages us to pursue things that are not that awesome for us. Last, last week, Ollie had a picture of the result of him pursuing a ball down a grassy slope. 
I happen to be there at that event, and, <laughs> and I have, you know, the other image. There, there he is in the red jersey. No, no, actually, this is not that. <laughs> These are men chasing what, like this rolling block of cheese. Right? And, and at the bottom of the hill, somebody eventually catches up to the cheese. Everyone else is seeing EMS, emergency services. But first of all, they're chasing something that doesn't matter. And the end result of chasing something that doesn't matter is we get broken. And, and, and yet we do. We, we, we chase education and professional development. We, we're chasing success and riches. We're, we're chasing transactional relationships and personal influence. And at the end of this, God reminds us there is really only one place where love is. Love is from God. And the good news is this God is chasing you. He, he is pursuing us. It's not that I was ever looking for him. Even when he placed me in a passionate Christian home, I thought it a good idea to run from it. And yet, this God of love pursues us. These three simple words, this is the first Bible verse I remembered. As a little child, I was taught to memorize. God is love. And yet, I grew up and was immersed in a bent and broken culture that was disorienting to me and made me a dyslexic, and I turned it into love is God. And I chased it, and it broke me. You see, you see this is what John is saying. When you add God up, when you add the sum of all his parts, his holiness and his righteousness, when you add his justice and his mercy, when you put together his omniscience and omnipotence, his transcendence and his incarnation, when you put together his purity and his sacrifice, the sum of all of that is this, it is love. He, his character, defines what true life is. And if, if I take the sum of everything I have, all my religious convictions, all my personal human efforts, if I take the law and my need to perform well on the platform, when I take my sin and add my penance, if I take all of that, it will always add up to guilt. Always. So if you are looking at your life right now, here's a second application. If you're seeing stuff that doesn't add up to affection, then you need to do some subtraction. You, you need to take something specifically out of your life because verse 8 says, if you do not love, you don't know God. You, you, some of you know that... Um, I used to have more jewelry and hair. And I would, with great conviction, march into church with my hair, my earrings, and my nail polish. 
and look for evidence that those Christian people didn't really love me because they would look at me and think, that's not how a Christian should look. And then one day I was looking in the mirror and I suddenly realized the reason I cannot let these earrings go is I love my look more than I love God's people. How much do you love? That is evidence of how much God has of us. Because God is love. So let's look at his uh, display of love in verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 says that God just doesn't add up to love. It's not just his character to love, but he demonstrated love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Do you understand what the cross of Christ was? It was God's boast to the world. It was God's boast to all the spiritual powers. This is how much I love this world. This is how much I love fallen humanity. This was love on display, the supreme act of God. That's why earlier in a message we reminded you that this word is not agape, which is a noun, it's agape, oh, a verb. Love in action is the cross. God sent His only Son, the Prince of Glory, to satisfy the holy wrath of God over sin and to transform us, literally to change our status from objects of wrath to objects of His affection. That's what was happening why did he do that? So that we could live, so that we might love, and so that we might be loved. And, and notice this supreme act did not require me to ask for it. It didn't require my acquiescence. It wasn't, it wasn't initiated because we made some request. Because we said, hey, please, God, you know, life is hard down here. Can, can, can you help me out? Can you give me some love? It, it, it wasn't even because he thought we would respond positively. He, he didn't say, okay, I'm getting ready to send my son any takers. He, he, he wasn't doing that. He was offering this love unconditionally. And irregardless of whether we would accept him or reject him, because that's what love does. It is not transactional. It just is. It was not triggered by my request. It was triggered by his character. And so the horror of the cross is the best display we have of agapeo, of God's love act. It was unilateral. It was unconditional. He sacrificially loved us. Matthew 18. 
I'm going to put this up on the screen, but you know, uh, there's a young couple in our midst, Lee Heng and Eunice, who are going to be getting married in a, in a couple of weeks, a few weeks. I don't know, a couple, few, three. I, I'll look at my calendar. I'll be there. <laughs> and, and they've chosen a passage of Scripture that's a little bit unusual. In Matthew 18, the, the passage in which Peter comes up to Jesus and he, he says, Lord, you know, how often would my brother sin against me? I, I just need to know how much I need to be prepared for. Like, how, how much will my brother sin against me and, and I have to forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, here's a scripture Eunice and Liang have chosen. Jesus said to them, I do not say seven times. I say 70 times seven. So I'm sharing this. Well, this scripture is going to be at this wedding. I'm going to have to preach this little message. And, and the people are like, whoa, they're preparing for the worst, right? <laughs> Actually, they're thinking of the cross. You, you, you understand this. You, you've heard me say this before because as a pastor, I'm tired of having Christians come to me saying, Pastor, I will forgive them if they come up to me and say sorry. That's not Christian forgiveness. That's ordinary pagan forgiveness. Like that's holding leverage of power over somebody. Jesus hung on that cross and said, Father, forgive them. Nobody was saying, hey, Jesus, can you give a good word for me? Nobody is saying, okay, I feel badly now, Jesus, can you forgive me? He forgave without permission. That's a love act. But more than that, you know what he was doing? He was actually painfully hanging between the wrath of God and the love of God, and he was pleading mercy on behalf of his enemies. That's what forgiveness is. It's not simply saying, oh, yes, nothing. Never mind. I'm a bigger person. I can go on. That is rubbish, forgiveness. Forgiveness is, it's over before they ask. And more than that, the one who is painfully hanging between the wrath of God and his judgment is pleading, oh God, have mercy on the one who injured me. God, remember grace. I stand here sacrificially loving. That is what Christ-like love is. That's why we look to the cross and we think, oh, how he loved you and me. This is Christ-like forgiveness, the action of forgiveness. So why does this matter? And by the way, some of you are getting nervous about the time because you know we had a lot of singing and baptisms. This is first part. Whenever the time comes, I'll close and then we'll do the second part next week. So, so why does this matter? Beloved, there's that word again. You are loved. If God so loved us, and by the way, this is a first-class condition which assumes the affirmative. That, that's why if you have another Bible translation in your hand other than the ESV, it might say, since God so loved us. This assumes we have been loved because we're called beloved, and then just in case we don't understand that we have been loved, he says, since, if and you have been, beloved, if and you have been so loved by God, we ought also to love one another. Those of us who have been the objects of God's love are then commanded and empowered 
to be stewards. So first I'm an object of his love. When I realize I have been loved, then suddenly my position has been changed. I am now an ambassador of his love. A steward of his love. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That means perfectly fruited out, mature fruit of love is produced in us. You know the most common question I get asked as a pastor? It's not about the content of the gospel. It's this. Where is God? When earthquakes come, where, where, where is God? When, when I have cancer, where is God? When my child that I have carried for nine months in my womb and have done nothing but love, when my child screams at me and says, I hate you, where is God? You know, this world is desperate not to hear a Christian song, not to hear a wonderful, engaging speech. They're desperate to see some sign of God. No one has seen God. But if you have been the object of God's love, and if you are an ambassador from God, of God, then that will be obvious. Then that is obvious. And so this is why the Apostle Paul wrote this. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, meaning changed our status from the object of wrath to the object of affection, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That means painfully hanging in the gap between God's wrath and judgment, pleading, God have mercy. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And here it is, stewards of his affection and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are what? Ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. A grace were to be his ambassadors. Now, I, had, I did a little research, just in case you're traveling in Europe. This is the Singapore Embassy in Brussels. So if you're traveling in Europe and you get into some trouble, you need some help, you can get to the Embassy in Brussels and you will find sanctuary there. Um, According to a definition I looked up, the primary purpose of an embassy is to assist citizens who travel or who live in a foreign country. That's why there's so much moral outrage right now. Because a man who was traveling in a foreign country, Turkey, went to his embassy, and instead of finding help there, instead of getting assistance there, he found a hit squad. How outrageous, right? That, that seems outrageous to everyone in the world. You don't have to be a Christian to be outraged. Nations in the world are outraged by this. 
That's the embassy in Brussels. This is the embassy in McPherson. I'm, I'm just saying, when people come for help, when people come seeking sanctuary, they better not be met with a bone saw. Because I have been here two years and I've heard it. You're thinking, oh, we don't do that, Pastor. Words cut. We are Christ's ambassadors. Look in the mirror. You are loved. Beloved, love one another. Love is from God. And if you don't love, you don't know God. You may know your Bible, but you don't know Him. There's no evidence of Him. The broken, the frightened, the dysfunctional, when they come to this embassy, they ought to find help for their weary souls. They ought to find a place of sanctuary. These young believers who committed to following Christ on this day, this ought to be a safe place for them to grow and exercise their ministry muscles to be the child of God. He died to make them be. It ought to be a safe place. I, I, I'm delighted to <clears throat> have my friend Alan Carr here. He, he actually was the chair of my doctoral committee. I paid him with affection to get me through that program. <laughs> They know I'm not good with studies, Alan, so you don't have to fake it. He, he's brought some friends here, and the youngest one can speak good English, but there's, there's a pastor he's brought with him who's a farmer in Cambodia. He, he came to Christ because somebody was standing in the painful gap, pleading God's mercy. This rice farmer... Kamai man, who speaks not a word of English, felt the grace of Christ and embraced him as his Lord and Savior and then began to think, if he has made me his ambassador, I ought to set up an embassy in this village. And you know, this pastor has started embassies in 12 Kamai villages so Cambodians can know there is a God who lives and who loves Kamai-speaking people. That is love in action. That, that, that is it. You, do I need to say he doesn't have money to build a building? But that didn't stop him from setting up an embassy. That didn't stop any of us from leaving this place and being ambassadors for the affection of Christ every single day this week. Final application. Jesus Christ the prince of glory hung painfully in the gap, died to change the status of his enemies. Some, some of you here today have been hurt. You may even have been hurt by someone here today. Uh, are, are you willing 
to be a steward for the sacrificial love of Christ. And in your heart right now, say, God, I lay that down. I put it as a boast on the cross, nail it to it. But more than that, are you willing right now to pray with Jesus, God, have mercy on them. Be a steward of that sacrificial affection. God, have, they didn't know what they were doing. It was a careless word. Can you represent them in your prayers? Then you will sense the love of Christ rising up in you. Then God will raise up this church, just as he de declares in the book of Ephesians, as a boast to the spiritual powers. Look at my church. Look at my people. Stewards in this broken world of my love and my grace. And then there's others. I put you in another category. I put you in the EN category. You're more like me because I shoot first. It just comes up. And, you know, you, you can't tell, but compared to other Canadians, I, I'm, I'm really small. So growing up in school, the only weapon I had was this eviscerating sword of a tongue. If you're in the Ian category, you too can find grace. Because if you're still here, you're the object of someone's forgiveness. Can you believe that? You, you, you thought you were doing okay on your own, but you're here by God's grace and somebody stewarding that grace. Someone has forgiven me. That's why I'm here. If, if you're like me, would you take a moment and just, just ask God, do, do I need to go to someone and, and just say, you're not asking, but I feel like I've hurt you and I, and I want to, Say sorry. Do, 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 is there anyone that God would bring to your mind right now? Just plant the, the name like a seed in your heart and say, you, just this person. You, you, you stabbed them in the dark. You, you, you thought it was so exciting to share this salacious news story that you didn't even check on. You, you just, it was a funny story. You didn't realize that you were just spreading gospel. You're just being hurtful. I want to invite us to spend a few quiet moments in the presence of the Most High God. Because though we are in the presence of one another, there is another here whose spirit saturates this place. <clears throat> we didn't bring him here. He is in every corner of this island. He longs to hear from his people. And, and there are just two or maybe three prayers that he needs to hear from our, our lips, from our hearts right now. One is for those of us who have been wounded.
Will you pray, oh God? She didn't know what she was doing. Forgive her. I endure the pain as a steward of Christ's sacrificial love. I'll, I'll hang painfully in the gap, but God have mercy. And, and if you're in my category, would you be willing to say, God have mercy on me? Because I, I want to be someone who is clearly born of you. So clear that when visitors leave this church, they don't leave saying, oh, that's a Baptist church I never knew, but that they will leave saying, oh my goodness, those, those, those people, they love each other. Grace, would we dare to make God obvious by our love? Not by our theological distinctions. Not by our ministry giftedness. But would we dare to make Christ's love obvious in every day, in every action, in every word? Would we dare to make him obvious? Father God, we thank you that if we are here, we are also evidence of your mercy and of your grace. We recognize today that we are also evidence of someone else, Jesus, yes, but someone else who faithfully and painfully hung in the gap and pledged you for mercy on behalf of us. And so, God, make us that way, that the love of Christ could be fully fruited in our speech, fully fruited in our actions, so that Singapore, so that your world would know that there is a God who lives and He loves. Do this for your name's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us, let us stand and join in response as we sing as a church that received mercy from God. His mercy is more.
Amen. Please be seated and the choir will sing the benediction of the blessing for the congregation. Dear refuge of my weary soul,
Church, before we leave this morning, we get to put love and action into practice as we welcome our new members who have just joined us this morning. So as I call them, they can go to the area just before the choir pew. We have Samantha, Johnny, Cheryl, Melanie and Sherry. They have joined us this morning by baptism and Adeline who has joined us by transfer. So you can please be at the, around the choir pews just in front of that. And the rest of us, let's welcome them, encourage them. And if you want to whisper a word of prayer, you can do so with them. Thank you. You may be dismissed and you can go downstairs for a time of fellowship. Thank you.